want to start just with a question. What is the relationship between a value and an action? Have you thought about that? What's the relationship between a value or a belief and an action? Any ideas? Belief comes first, okay. They're directly related. How? Okay, so you do what you feel is most important or what you value. Does that make sense? Let me just think of some examples this morning about that. If I say that loving my wife is the most important thing or one of the most important things in my life, loving God is the most important thing, but if if loving my wife is a value and I never spend extra time with her and I never tell her that and I just expect her to serve me all week, is loving my wife a value? No, why not? Because I'm not doing it. Action is evidence of a belief. Exactly. For instance, if, if many of you men are trying to be good, and, and women are trying to be wonderful witnesses at work and good testimonies at work, and that is a value that is important to you. So what do you do to show that? If that's a value that's important to you, how would that work itself out in life? Take your Bible and read it at work, Okay. During breaks and when you have lunchtime, yeah. (laughs) Be as productive as God will allow you to be because if you're not productive, if you're not doing your job, is that being a good witness at work? No, it's not. And so that value would relate to an action of how we act. What's another one for at work? Integrity. If you go to work and you're known as the guy that lies all the time and then you preach the gospel afterwards... Just don't. Because that's, that, that's going to destroy your witness. But your, your value of wanting to be a witness at work would not show itself in actions. You know, I might say that keeping my car clean and spotless is a priority in my life. <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> Because you've seen my car. And you can write on my car. And so the actions do not correspond with what I say is a value. As we end our series on what it means to be God's church, and we've talked the last five weeks about our four core values as a church, we, we come to, to something, the, the way I wanted to end it was to say, how do we take those four core values and actually put them into practice. Because unless we put them into practice, their core values only by name. They're wonderful ideas that we can say, hey, this is what we're about. But if we don't put them into practice, if we don't put them into action, then we don't really hold them as core values. Core values will express themselves in our actions. And so the title this morning is Turning Core Values into Core Actions. And it's sort of a twist on the words because if they really are core values, then they will be core actions. But we want to define that and talk about that today to say, how do we do that? One of our challenges is it is sometimes hard to take a concept and especially a spiritual concept and relate that to actual actions. How do I put that into practice? You know, we started this series by talking about the mission of God's church. And it's in your notes there. The mission of God's church, we looked at Scripture, was to continue Christ's work 
by making disciples for Him through sharing the Gospel and training others to follow Christ to His glory. And that's something we can say we believe, but it's hard to figure out sometimes how that actually works itself into practice. And then we studied through our four core values. Outreach. And, and reaching out to the world around us and to the entire world with the Gospel of Christ. Community. Building positive Christian relationships that are spurring one another on to love and good deeds. We talked about spiritual growth and, and being transformed in ever-increasing glory into the likeness of Christ. And then we talked about ministry. Selflessly serving others. Using our gifts and abilities to serve the body of Christ. And so those four core values we want to translate into how we act at Village. And one of the ways that we do that is in our, in our membership class, in our Discovering Village class, we talk through, okay, what does that look like for the attender at Village, for the, the member at Village, to be part of the body at Village? How can we be God's church and build, God, build God's church in real practical, tangible ways? And so we have a lifestyle statement in our membership covenant. We've had that for about 15 years. And so many of you that have been um, become members in the last 15 years will have seen some of this. But we, we don't review it very often. And if these are really our core values, this is very helpful to review. And so this morning we're going to review our, our lifestyle statement, how we be God's church. And on each of the items will be a verse that we'll look at. And what I'd like to do just to, to be God's church together... As we go through it, I'll share the point, and then I'll ask, would someone stand and read that verse? You know, AJ mentioned that the notes were three pages long. They're actually four, just to, um, just to scare you a little bit more. But the reason is, is I, I printed out all the verses that we're going to use this morning, so that way we can read them together. And um, you, can, you can study them during the week in your own translations, but that way we can read them together and um, have sort of a mini-reading service as we talk through what it means to be God's church. As we thought through some of these things, one of the dangers is we don't want to just have a list of things to do to be spiritual. You know, these 600 items, if you do these, then you are a great member at Village Bible Church. But somehow we have to define how to put it into action. So how do we avoid legalism but still share very tangibly what can I do to put these concepts into my deeds in my everyday life. And so we've tried to come up with some things that are, are just directly out of Scripture, instructions that are very specific, but yet at the same time have to do with just how every Christian should live their life. And so we'll look at four different things this morning. I will protect the unity of God's church. I will share in the responsibility of God's church. I will serve in the ministry of God's church, and I will support the testimony of God's church. Now, I know some of you have already filled in four blanks, and that's a wonderful thing, but we want to go through each of those. The first is I will protect the unity of God's church. And this may tie to our core value of community. That's where it mostly ties into. The thing is about our core values is they're all interrelated, and we've talked about that every week. We don't just work on community. Community leads to outreach. Community leads to spiritual growth. Community is how we minister together. And so all of these are interrelated. And so in our, our list today, they're all sort of interrelated. But roughly the unity of the church comes back to community and our core value of community. 
Unity in the Bible in the New Testament when it's used refers to a state of oneness, oneness of purpose. Being in harmony, sometimes you'll see the, the word translated harmony, or in one accord, and that does not mean all in one car, but we're, we're in one mindset, for those of you that have accords. Um, sorry, old joke. Being like-minded. And God wants His church to be unified. So many times, if you just look up some of those words in the New Testament, you'll see admonitions over and over and over to be one church. In Ephesians 4.3, the Apostle Paul says, Be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. In Philippians, we see him mention unity over and over as they had some issues with unity between several of the, the ladies in their church. And in Philippians 2, 2-4, he starts with an, a, a command to unity, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And then he answers, how do we do that in 3 and 4? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And those verses, village, that would solve most of our unity problems if we just started thinking, truly thinking of each other as more important than ourselves. That your interests are more important than mine. That your needs are more important than mine. And then we follow Paul's command to complete my joy by being of the same mind. In 1 Corinthians, a book that we're going to start next week, um, in chapter 1, verse 10, and then actually beyond that, Paul is warning about divisions. And, and he, he says, do not be divided. And it's a call to unity. So why so much focus on unity? And I think some of the words of Jesus as he's answering the Pharisees who are accusing him of being um, in league with Satan, where he says, a house divided in it against itself cannot stand. And Satan knows that if he can divide us against ourselves, if he can get us bickering inside the church and complaining about things, he can destroy our witness and he can destroy the work that God is doing here. So Satan would love to attack the unity, but we are called to protect the unity of God's church. These, these points are worded as I will because this is part of a covenant of every member here, of every attender here, I will protect the unity of God's church. And what we're trying to, to pass on there is that we're all responsible with this task. We're all charged with maintaining the unity. It's not just something that Pastor Ron does or the elders does or that we can have a committee, a unity committee that, that will handle the, the unity of the church. This is something that we're all to be charged with. And so we have four different ways that this works itself out that are very specific. The first is by acting in love toward other members. By acting in love toward other members. Would someone stand and, and read nice and loud those two verses there, John 13, 34, and 35, and 1 Peter 1, 22? A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. There are many more verses, but those are just a, a, a touch. We protect the unity of God's church by loving one another. 
You see that in 1 Peter 1.22, that this is an act of obedience. But you also see that brotherly love is to be sincere and to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Loving one another is an action. It's an activity. Now, I'm not going to define exactly how you do that. There's all kinds of different ways you love one another. But it is commanded. There are no outs in the body of Christ. And so we seek to love one another sincerely and from a pure heart. The next way that we protect the unity of God's church is by refusing to gossip and instead practicing forgiveness. By refusing to gossip and instead practicing forgiveness. Let someone read Ephesians 4, 29-32. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. We're to protect the unity of the church. How we talk matters. How we speak about each other. How we speak about each other when the other person isn't around. And so we have instructions here to to not just not gossip, but to be careful of everything we say. Is it fitting for this occasion, verse 29 said? Is it building up? And as we talk about different situations in the church, that's one of the questions we should be asking. What it asks right there. Does this build up the church? Does this build up the other person? Is this something I'd be willing to be talking about if they were standing right here? Let's just get real practical. And if not, then I need to not go there. I need to be quiet. And now this has gone into the realm of gossip. And gossip is one of those things that can just tear a a community apart and tear a church apart because we're no longer caring for the growth of the other person. We're now just caring to pass on some wonderful tidbit of information. But instead, verse 32 there, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And as we talked about community, we talked about this. We talked about forgiveness. In fact, we talked about verse 32 there. So rather than gossiping, speaking kind words about people, forgiving remembering that Christ forgave us for so much more than anyone in this room will ever do to us. And that changes things. So we protect the unity of God's church by refusing to gossip and instead practicing forgiveness. We protect the unity of God's church by intentionally encouraging others in the church family. This is the positive side. By intentionally encouraging others in the church family. Would someone read 1 Thessalonians 5.11 for us? What a great verse, isn't it? Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. Encourage has the idea of building up, but also exhortation and then building one another up, um, boosting someone, giving them the ability to follow God and, and to, to see how they are doing that. I love this verse because this is sort of how I feel about village. When it says encourage one another and build each other up just as you are doing. I see that so many times, just different notes going by and things on Facebook and, and conversations here and people praying together. And so my, my encouragement there is keep it up. Keep encouraging one another. Keep building each other up. Keep looking for ways to do that. 
That's actively protecting the unity of God's church. And finally, the last one there, be supportively fo- we protect the unity of the church by supportively following the leaders God has placed in His church. By supportively following the leaders God has placed in His church. Would someone read Hebrews 13.17 for us? Thank Obey you. your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Thank you. Powerful verse of our attitude toward the leaders that God has placed in His church. The pastors, the elders, those leading ministry. And, and the key there is understanding that they have to give an account before God Almighty for your souls. That is not a light thing. And so the instruction there is to, be, to obey, to submit to them, to make it a joy. That's why I use the word supportively. To make it a joy and not a, a, a chore, not with groaning, for that would be no advantage to you. You know, it, we all know that we're all different. I, I don't have to you know, give a whole bunch of illustrations. You can just look around. And we all have different ideas. And I know that with anyone leading a ministry here, there are people underneath them that have different ways of how that ministry should be run. But the question is, how do we move forward with God's work? And it's not by running in a thousand different directions. It's by rowing the same direction. I love watching people getting in a rowboat for the first time and trying to go somewhere. It's, and, and two different people on the oars. It's awesome. I, they're going backwards and left and right. Why? Because they're not going the same direction. And so God gave pastors and teachers and those in leadership to, to give direction to His church so that way we can accomplish what He has, us, has for us to accomplish. To train, to equip the body for acts of service as we talked about last week. God is a God of order and structure. Now keep in mind there are checks and balances, and I was reminded of that with some of the news this week from, from a, a church leader re- resigning. And there are checks and balances, and so it's not saying that leaders can just run amok and do whatever they want, and hi, you have to follow. No, there's checks and balances within our boards, within God's Word, and obviously if something's contrary to God's Word, it's to be brought up. But we support the unity of the church by following the leaders God has placed in His church. This is another area that I just I love ministering here at Village because of the support and the encouragement and, and the, the desire to be on the same page and move the same direction. Thank you for that. Thank you for being, being willing to protect the unity of God's church. So that's the first way that we turn our core values into core actions by committing to protect the unity of God's church. The second way is I will share the responsibility of God's church. I will share the responsibility of God's church. And this has to do with the areas of outreach and spiritual growth. And what is a responsibility? It's actually sort of a hard word to define, but yet we all know what it means. What's a responsibility? We're a little more interactive today. A duty, an obligation... Something that you have some ownership in? Yet, those are all part of the definition. A task or a charge for which we are answerable and accountable to, according to Webster. Something that we are, a task that we are given. 
And, and that's really what you're saying. It's, it's that we have ownership of this. It's a responsibility. Not supposed to use the word in the definition, but it's a responsibility that we have that we will be held accountable for by God. And the key here is that every person in this room shares in the responsibility of the church. It's not just the paid staff. Woo, we paid them some money. Now I don't have to share in the responsibility. No, that's not how the body works. Every person here shares in the responsibility of God's church in the mission of God's church that we talked about, to make disciples for Him through sharing the Gospel and training others to follow Him, doing all things for His glory. That's our mission. That's our responsibility. And guess what? You've signed up for it by being part of the body of Christ. And so if we're to put our core values into actions, we have to see that I share in the responsibilities of God's church. We, we think of this in a home, right? Anyone living in your home, there are certain family responsibilities that have to happen, right? I hope. And, and certain chores that have to be done that, that aren't so much chores as just this is how a household runs and everybody takes responsibility. Everybody takes a part of it. All the way from your littlest ones to your oldest ones. It just looks different at different ages. Same is true in a church. We're all on this, this task, this mission that God has given the church. And so we all want to share that responsibility. We have five ways that that can happen, a little more specific to sort of flesh this out a little bit. The first is we can share the responsibility by praying for its growth and for my church family. By praying for its growth in my church family. I encourage you to read all those verses at some point and then look at the examples in the New Testament. But would someone read Ephesians 6.18 as Paul is finishing up his discussion on spiritual warfare and how to, to fight for God's church to, for, for, to accomplish what He's given us to do. Would someone read Ephesians 6.18? Sure. And what a convicting verse. How, how often should we pray? At all times, with all prayers and supplication, keep alert with perseverance. That's sometimes hard if you're praying right before you go to bed. Keep alert with perseverance, making supplication for who? All the saints. We're to pray for each other. We're to lift each other up. Pray for God's church. When we pray for the growth of God's church, it's not about numbers. It's about praying that people come to know Christ. That people hear the Gospel. That people's eternity is secure in heaven. That should be part of our prayers. And and here Paul goes on in the next verse that I don't have there to say, pray for me for boldness that I may share the Gospel. And you see that aspect coming in. Don't forget to pray for each other. It's how we share in the responsibility of God's church. You heard some prayer requests this morning and and I know we, we put some on Facebook but be pray, praying for Leah Brown's family. Be praying for Mary Scherer. Be praying for some of the other needs in our body. It's part of how we share the responsibility. Second way we share the responsibility of God's church is by sharing Christ with, the do not, with those that do not know Him and inviting them to attend. This comes back to our discussion on outreach. That we need to overcome those barriers and share Christ with others. Invite them to things. 
So it's every one of our responsibility. Would someone read Luke 14, 23? Luke 14, 23. Patricia. Okay, this is Jesus talking about um, doing some teaching and using a banquet as an illustration. And, and some people wouldn't come. And he says, go out, invite anyone. And he's, he's showing a heart for the lost here and his heart for the lost, that my house may be filled. We share the responsibility of the church by sharing Christ with those that do not know him, inviting them to attend. And that's core it's core to who we are and what we do. We've got to put it into practice. Third way we share the responsibility of God's church is by warmly welcoming those who visit. We talked about that in, in outreach and in community, a culture of outreach and in community. By warmly welcoming those who visit, would someone read Romans 15.7 for us this morning? Go ahead. What a wonderful verse. Short, but has some significant concepts. Therefore, welcome one another. And that word for welcome there in the original language meant to receive into one's home, which was a big deal for them, or into your circle of friends to bring along or to come alongside. And so when we welcome those who visit, it's bringing them into our circles. And we talked about that. We talked about being friends, making friends instead of just being friendly. And that's what that word welcome means. But look at the rest of that verse. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Think about that for a minute. How has Christ welcomed you? What did He do for you? What was that? Yeah, he, he adopted me just as I am. He died for me while I was still a sinner in Romans 5.8. But He loved me enough to not leave me there. And so He brought me along. That's how Jesus welcomed us. Gave His life. Adopted me into His family. And so when we see a command here that says, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you, man, that's a huge deal. That means having different eyes as we come on Sunday or whenever we gather. Eyes looking to bring people in. And, and we, we talked about that and I see you working on that and practicing that. But then it's directly commanded in Scripture. And at the end, for the glory of God. That's why we do any of this and we'll talk about that at the end today. This is for the glory of God. So we share the responsibility of the church by warmly welcoming those who visit. By coming ready to welcome people and looking to welcome each other. Thank you for being a church that does that. Fourth way that we share in the responsibility of God's church is by giving regularly of my time, energy, and resources. By giving regularly of my time, energy, and resources. Would someone read 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 7 for us? John. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully also reap Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Thank you, John. Part of sharing the responsibility is sharing in the needs of the church. 
and the needs aren't just financial, although that's part of it. And we encourage tithing at Village. We see that as a biblical principle, a biblical starting point. But we encourage regularly giving time and energy and resources. I see people that are always loaning vehicles around. That's pretty incredible. Here, use my vehicle for, for whatever you need it for, for this ministry. I see people giving so much time to different aspects of ministry here. I know many of you give sacrificially so that way the, the church can still function, so we can have lights, so that we can have sound. All of that's part of sharing in the responsibility here because it's all of our responsibility. Thank you for being faithful to doing that. Let's continue to be faithful to doing that. The fifth way we share in the responsibility of God's church is by studying God's Word and helping others in the church family grow spiritually. By studying God's Word and helping others in the church family grow spiritually. And this has to do with discipleship and and that we ourselves, if we're to disciple someone else, we need to be in God's Word and learning and growing so that way we can help someone else learn and grow. If we're dry and and not putting into practice a love for God's Word, it's very hard to pass that on. Nearly impossible. Would someone read 2 Timothy 2, um, 2 and 15 for us? Joe. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Thank you. So you see instructions there to be able to rightly handle the word of truth. That takes study. That takes discipline. We talked about that with spiritual growth. But also that then we're to pass that on in verse 2 there, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so part of sharing in the responsibility is that part of the mission of God's church to make disciples. But we need to be in God's Word to do that. So I will share in the responsibility of God's church. So two things so far. I will protect the unity of God's church. I will share the responsibility of God's church as part of how we put our values into actions. The third is I will serve in the ministry of God's church. I will serve in the ministry of God's church. And Pastor Andrew talked about ministry, our fourth core value last week, and how we are all called to minister. We're all called to be servants. And that word, as he shared, means to be of service, to be a servant or a slave, to to wait on tables, to be able to assist others by doing anything. One lexicon said, even the lowest and menial of tasks. That's what a servant does. A servant takes the lowest tasks. And so when we serve in the ministry of God's church, we are serving each other by taking on any job, any responsibility. For those of you that have been on a missions trip with me, what's the phrase that we've used? Yes, I'd be glad to. It's a great one. Try that in your homes. Um, Yes, I'd be glad to. And that just was was one of the, the attitudes that we were to have in ministry. And so we're to serve each other and serve with each other. And how do we do that? The first is by discovering my gifts and talents and joyfully using them to serve the body of Christ. Joyfully using them to serve the body of Christ. Would someone read 1 Peter 4.10? As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. 
You see the instruction there. As you've received a gift and all believers are gifted by the Holy Spirit to serve, use it to serve one another. And then that last phrase again gives some weight to it as good stewards of God's varied grace. It's a reminder that we've been given abilities, we've been given gifts by God that we are to steward or to to take good care of. And if we don't use them to serve in the body, then we are not being good stewards of His grace. And so we serve the ministry of God's church by discovering our gifts and talents and joyfully using them to serve the body of Christ. Second way is by making it a priority to serve others in God's church. By making it a priority to serve others in God's church. And the, the, the key word there is priority. Rather than an afterthought, or rather than, oh, just something that if I happen to see an opportunity, I'll do. Priority means I'm looking to do this. This is important. Would someone read Galatians 6.10? As each has received... Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Okay, so we see actions that we're to have to everyone, but then Paul, as he's talking to the church at Galatia, says, especially those of the household of faith. Especially serving the church body. That should be a priority. So come looking to serve. As you drive, whenever we gather, as you drive here, be asking the question, who does God want me to serve today? Who does God want me to minister to today? That changes how you come to church. That changes us from a consumer mindset to now a servant's mindset. And see what God does with that kind of a prayer. You will be blessed and the church will be blessed. Third way we serve the ministry of God's church is by being equipped to be served or equipped to serve by my pastors. By being equipped to serve by my pastors. And this was one of our key verses last week. Would someone read Ephesians 4, 11, and 12? Andy. And so out of that we see that God, His plan was to give leaders, give pastors to a church, give, give apostles, give those that are, are equipped, give them the task to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And the implication there is that the saints need to be willing to be equipped. That that's part of the process. And so be looking for, for input. Be looking to be trained in a ministry. And see what God does. Be willing to be equipped. Fourth way we serve the ministry of God's church is by developing a servant's heart. Coming ready to do anything. Philippians 2, 3-7 through 7 is there. Would someone read that, Jim? We've looked at verses 3 and 4 of this passage already today, but what a wonderful passage that describe our Lord's, our Savior's heart, and that we're to have that same mind, we're to have that same heart. One that for Him, was He was willing to empty Himself 
to leave the glories of heaven and to be incarnated in this Genesis 3 world, which quite frankly stinks sometimes. And He was willing to take on flesh and become a servant so that He could come to to serve. But the key verse there is, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This is the example we're to follow. And so we need to have a servant's heart rather than a master's heart that is willing to do anything for anyone here to support the ministry of God's church. Then the last point in our our church covenant, I will support the testimony of God's church. I will support the testimony of God's church. And this ties very closely with the things we talked about in spiritual growth. But a testimony in, in, in the Bible, as you see the word testimony used, it means a proof or an evidence that something is true. So if I give testimony to something, I'm attesting that that is true. And we know from Scripture that we do that with our lives. Our actions can attest whether or not the Gospel is true. Whether or not our faith is true. And so um, sometimes this is described as a declaration or a profession of faith. Just getting to, to nuts and bolts, the testimony of God's church is the reputation of God's church. What is our reputation? Do we have a reputation that says, man, that church believes in Jesus Christ and is acting on it? Or a reputation that is contrary to that? You know, we talked about what would you, my car. And I can say that I, I, I have a priority on having a clean car, but my reputation disputes that. And so this has to do with, we as a church say that Jesus Christ is the center of all things and the the Gospel is the greatest news you will ever hear because it tells us that Jesus died on the cross in our place for our sins while we were still sinners and we just have to repent and believe on Him and we will be saved. And that is incredible news to share with the world. But do our actions confirm that? Can someone look at how we live and say, yes, that is the greatest news. Yes, that's life-changing. See, when we think about the reputation of the church, the, the key thing to remember there is the church is made up of all believers. And we're interrelated. And so what you do affects my testimony. What I do affects your testimony because it's the reputation of the church. And when I, when I used to have my business and I'd go into businesses and work on their computers, it's amazing as you're working on someone's computer what people will tell you. And, and bosses, the, the key thing I would hear over and over and over again is, you know what, so-and-so says they're a Christian. Why do they do this? Because I, I, I made no, um, I don't know the word I'm looking for, but I didn't hide that I was a Christian, that we were a Christian company. But I often heard, why do Christians always do this? Now, now granted, they're probably overgeneralizing, and they often were, but they're basing that on what a few Christians did. And so a few Christians, by name only, that weren't living for Christ, were affecting the testimony of the church. Not just Village Bible Church, the church as a whole. And so we need to remember that every believer contributes to the testimony of the church, and every believer can tear down the testimony of the church. So this is so important as part of our covenant. 
of, okay, how do we put this into practice? We're going to support the testimony of God's church. Four ways we do that. First, by attending and worshiping faithfully. By attending and worshiping faithfully. And as we attend and worship faithfully, we are showing that this is a priority. We are showing that the gathering of believers is a priority. By worshiping faithfully, we are showing that God's glory is a priority and and worshiping Him for His glory is key. Would someone read the first verse there, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25? Phil. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more you see the day drawing near. We're to not neglect the gathering. There's some other verses there that talk about worship, but we support the testimony of His church by regularly coming together. Second way we support the testimony of God's church is by living a godly life based on God's Word as our sole authority. And we spend a lot of time on the week on spiritual growth talking about the importance of God's Word and the centrality of God's Word. In fact, we use these verses. Would someone read 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17? Debbie. Amen. We see the value of God's Word there, but then 17 says that we can be complete or mature is often how that's translated. Equipped for every good work. And so if we're to support the testimony of the church, our life as we exit today has to match the testimony of God's church. People will make assumptions of who Christ is that we are because we are His ambassadors, which is coming, um, We are His ambassadors, and so we represent Him. And so how I act on Monday is just as important to how I act on Sunday. We need to be living godly lives based on God's Word. Again, that means we have to be in God's Word. We have to know what it says. We have to watch out for those things that are contrary to God's Word. Third way we support the testimony of God's church Very similar, but by having the example of my actions and speech reflect Christ well to others. Reflect Christ well to others. Would someone read 2 Corinthians 3, 2 and 3? Paul here is talking about proof of of the work of God and the people that he's ministered to. That those are his letters of recommendation. But it's their lives he's talking about that are the letter that points people back to Christ. Our lives reflect Christ. And so part of putting our, our core values into action is making sure that everything we do all week reflects well on Jesus Christ. And, and so the, the question to keep in mind is, what assumptions might people have about Christ by what I'm doing right now? And if I fly off the handle at work and am known to, to be harsh and get angry all the time and, and lack integrity, then that's reflecting on Christ. Because if I proclaim I'm a Christian, people will probably say, no thanks, it's not for me. My actions and speech need to reflect Christ well.
And the last way we support the testimony of God's church, and this is really the overarching purpose of everything the church is to be about, is by making everything I do give glory to God. By making everything I do give glory to God. And with glory, we've talked about this. Glory has a couple of concepts in Scripture. It can mean brightness and splendor and radiance, but then it also means reputation and um, honor and reputation and status. And so we, we have two aspects of God's glory. His inherent glory, which is the, the radiance and the majesty due to His character. But then we have His reputation glory, which is what we give glory, how we give glory to God is by adding to His fame, by adding to His reputation. And so we need to be giving people great opinions of God through our words, through our deeds, through our worship. Would someone stand and read the verses under that? Janine. Amen. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, in case you know eating and drinking doesn't cover it all, anything you do, make sure it gives glory to God. And so if we're to put that into practice, we need to be intentional with every moment. Make every moment a glory moment. How does this bring glory to God? How does eating at Taco Bell bring glory to God today? Depends. Depends on the conversations I have there. Depends on who I'm with. Depends on my purpose. Make every moment a glory moment. And I challenge you to think through that this week. As you go about your week, how does this bring glory to God? I want to end with a story of Corey Tin Boom. I think I've shared this before. But she was being given an honorary degree. And one of the reporters asked her if it was difficult remaining humble while receiving such a claim. And she replied immediately, Young man, when Jesus Christ rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday on the back of the donkey, and everyone was waving palm branches and throwing garments in the road and singing praises, do you think that for one moment it ever entered the head of that donkey that any of it was for him? She continued, If I can be the donkey on which Jesus Christ rides in his glory, I give him all the praise and all honor. What a great attitude to directing all glory to God. Four ways we can turn our core values into core actions. Let's put them into practice this week. Let's pray. Lord God, our Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your church. That you have created the church to accomplish your mission, to accomplish your work here. Lord, and may we be intentionally striving to be your church, to be these things in your word that are commanded, to build your church by sharing the gospel, by building each other up. Lord, may you do and continue to do great things through this part of your body as we together do your ministry. In Jesus' name.